Welcome, everyone. Thanks for being here. Hope you had a great week. I hope you're having a great summer for all of you Vegas parents. I know this isn't true for every uh, central parent that is in the different communities, but you're halfway through the summer, over halfway through the summer right now. Hopefully you're getting some good time in with those kids, making some special memories. We just recently had one of those memory-making trips just a couple weeks ago. We rented an RV and we went on a seven-day road trip as a family. And we had a lot of fun, we made a lot of memories. I told Laura, like, this is a make it or break it trip. This is either gonna be incredible or this is gonna be awful. And some of the pictures are coming up on the screen of this trip. We saw a lot of beautiful places. We had a lot of great time with our girls. But I also had to learn some things about the RV life. One of the things I had to learn about the RV life is that it's not made to be lived very quickly. It is not a fast life. It is meant to be lived very slowly. And this was a problem for me. I, I had a hard time grabbing this concept because I'm one that is normally just like, let's get to the destination as fast as we can. Let's get there as quickly as possible, as little stops as possible. Let's just keep going. In fact, something you could normally hear me telling my family is, we're not stopping for anything but gas. I don't care if you have to go to the bathroom, you'll wait till the next gas stop. And I make sure that they're ready for everything they could need in the car so we don't have to stop. In fact, my kids get horribly car sick. And even that, like we don't have time to stop for you to get out and throw up. I'll have throw up bags stocked. You can throw up in that throw up bag. We'll throw that away at the next gas station. But it's normally because I'm just trying to beat the time that MAPS is projected to the destination. Like that's a goal of mine. Like if it says three hours, if I can get there in two hours and 55 minutes, that's a win. Like I just, that was success. And I try to do it safely, but I try to beat the time. But when you're in an RV, you can't do this. It doesn't matter what the projected time is, you're gonna miss it because you have to take it slow. And I found this out on the first highway right outside of Vegas, the first hill that we encountered. I'm in the right lane. I'm not used to being a right lane driver. And everybody's flying by in the left lane. Here I am, I'm in the right lane. I start to approach this semi truck that's also climbing this hill. And he's going very slowly. And I think I gotta get over into the left lane. I gotta pass him. And so I'm looking back. I'm looking for my window to be able to pass this semi-truck. And I finally find one. I get into the left lane. I get up next to him. And now the hill picks up its incline. And both of us are having a hard time closing and, and climbing this hill. And so I'm thinking, it's okay, just, just stay the course. We're at like a 55 mile an hour standstill. And I look in my rear view mirror and people are backing up behind me. They're starting to get antsy. In fact, I can hear a few horns like get out of the left lane, dude. And I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to pass this guy. I'm now standing on the pedal, just thinking this thing has to have another gear. I gotta be able to get by this guy. But I tried, I tried, and I finally I look in the rearview mirror and traffic's just really backing up, so I have to swallow my pride, I have to slow down, I have to get in the right lane back behind the semi-truck. It was a failure. And every car that passed me let me know it with their facial expressions, with their unneeded hand gestures, like it was, it was a first moment in the RV. Uh, but we had a lot of great memories made. One positive side is that there was no car sickness. I think the kids not, don't so much get sick from being in a car, they get sick from being in a car with dad when he's trying to beat Google Maps projected time. But this whole trip, I had to take a deep breath and just keep reminding myself, it's not about getting there quickly, it's about the trip, it's about the memories, it's okay if it's slow. You're on vacation, just enjoy this. I found myself saying this a lot over the next seven days. It's not about speed, 
It's about the experience. And so we had a great time. We made a lot of memories. I took it very slowly, but it was awesome. And this week, we're gonna be talking about David. And we've been in a, a series, a summer series, where we've been journeying through the life of David, who was a small, unassuming shepherd boy that would go on to be the king of Israel. But king wouldn't be the greatest description described as, or that David was described as. It wouldn't be the greatest role that he had. The greatest description of David would be a man after God's own heart. Now, come on, that is a description to have. David had extraordinary faith. He displayed love. He displayed humility, integrity that was pleasing to God because of his love for him. And we've been journeying through David's life to understand what gave him this title. Because to understand David's heart would be for us to understand or start to understand the heart of God. And to do so, so far we've looked at the worshipful heart, the courageous heart, the humble heart, the loyal heart. And this week we're gonna be looking at the blessed heart. I think it's safe to assume that for a lot of us in the room, like we like being blessed, right? We wouldn't mind God continuing to bless our lives. But if we're honest, we're probably not always great at recognizing God's blessing. There are often times, I know for me personally, God's in the process of working on a blessing, but I'm so impatient. I want results, I want answers, I want solutions that I try to rush so I don't have to wait. And there, there are times when something's not in my best interest. It's not a blessing that God had in mind for me, but gosh, I would love for it to be. And I find myself angry or, or jealous that someone else is blessed in a way that I wish I had been blessed. Or, or there's times God's already blessing me and I just totally miss it. So today, let's look at how God is already blessing us and let's look at how to position our hearts for his blessing. Because the truth is we are tested by our successes just as much as we are tested by our failures. We're tested by our successes just as much as our failures because the more God blesses us, the more we're tempted to forget the one who blesses. David kept looking up to God even as he was lifted up to be king. So let's look at David's heart, a man after God's own heart, and see why his heart could be labeled a blessed heart. And we're gonna be looking at three different situations today where God was directing David to go, he was teaching him to slow, and he was telling David no. And the first thing we're gonna look at today is when God says go. Several years ago, God put it on the hearts of our leadership team to become a 24-hour church. We're in a 24-hour city. Most things are open 24 hours a day. And so we're, we've always been a place where needs are met. And we wanted, one of the needs we saw in this community is this community needed a church that was open 24 hours a day. So that no matter what time of, of, of the day someone was going through something, they knew their church was open and ready for them. And this would come up in planning meetings and, and strategic meetings, and it would go up on a whiteboard as a future idea. But every time we tried to roll it out, we just hit roadblock after roadblock. Either, either the logistics were too complicated, we didn't have enough team members to accomplish it, or we didn't have the right systems in place, the right technology to organize all the chat, all the calls, all the conversations. And so we could just never get it started, which was really frustrating because we saw God putting this on our heart, we felt it, we knew it was a need that we needed to meet, but we just couldn't see how to get it done. But then in 2020, the world shut down and God opened a door for Central. Technology that hadn't previously been available, it became available. 
A lot of our team was able to shift their focus to helping get this new ministry off the ground. And in just a few short weeks, 24-hour church was born. And since it kicked off, yeah, since it kicked off in April of 2020, which has been over two years now, 24-hour church has been live every hour of every day. Our team has been available via text, call, chat, 24-7. If you add that up, that's a total of almost 20,000 hours. I think it's appropriate to go ahead and give it up big for the 24-hour church team, all the volunteers. They've been there answering general questions. They've been there helping talk to people who are lonely and just need someone to talk to or meeting people right where they're at in some of life's darkest moments. They've been there, they've been available. And when God first put this incredible ministry on our hearts and our planning, every time we tried to move forward, we sensed that God was just saying, no, it's not the right time. But he didn't mean no, it would never happen. He just knew that there was gonna be the right time. There was gonna be the right team to start it. And when he did say go, we were ready. And in this part of David's story, Saul's died and and he was the current king and David knows that God has anointed him to be the next king of Israel. And David spent a good portion of his life on the run, either hiding in caves, hiding in the camps of Israel's enemies, always being hunted. And he's ready for this chapter of his life to be over. The guy that was hunting him is dead, he's gone. He's ready for what God has next. He's ready for that blessing. He's ready for that promise that God's already given him to be the king. And check out what it tells us in 2 Samuel 2. When we get to the red word, say that out loud with us. But it says, after this, David asked the Lord, should I move back to one of the towns of Judah? Yes, the Lord replied. Then David asked, which town should I go to? To Hebron, the Lord answered. This had to be the best yes David ever got in his whole life. I mean, here he is. He's been on the run. He's been in hiding. He's been hunted. He's in in constant stress, constant turmoil for his life. That King Saul is dead. David's ready for what's next. He asked God if he can go back to Judah, to one of the towns of Judah. He could start this process of receiving God's blessing to be king. And God told him, yes, go back to Hebron. God told David to go, and it would be easy to assume that the next thing for David would just be this immediate crowning of king, king of all of Israel, to receive the full promise that God had given him. But instead, David has to continue to wait. Let's read what it says in 2 Samuel 3.1 about what happened in his waiting. It says, as time passed, David became stronger and stronger, while Saul's dynasty became weaker and weaker. Listen, sometimes when God says go, it may not be the go that we imagined or that we hoped for. We have to remember that his timing is perfect. God told David to go and David faithfully followed. And while in the waiting, God was working in David's life. He was growing and strengthening him for the season ahead, for the blessing that was to come, to make sure he was ready for what was next. And we have to understand that God's desire is to bless us too. And even if it's not the answer that we want, it's not the direction that we saw things going, it's not the order that we saw things working out, when he says go, it's in our best interest to respond. And he's got us. God tells us himself in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future, to give you hope. 
A blessed heart is one that responds when God says go. It's one that has the patience and the faith to, to work out God's timing no matter what the circumstances of today are. You see, it all comes down to our posture. To receive God's blessing, we need to trade our posture of resistance for a posture of readiness. We need to trade that posture of resistance for a posture of readiness. Is there any area of your life right now that you feel God saying go? Maybe there's a friend you've been praying for. You sense that now is the time to tell them all that God's been doing on your own, in your own life. Maybe even invite them to church. Or maybe for you, you've sensed God telling you to do something kind for your friend, for your neighbor, but you keep putting it off. Maybe you've sensed it's time to start giving back to God financially and you just haven't taken that step yet. Maybe you're over and tired of that addiction and you sense God asking you to show up to celebrate recovery, but you just keep putting it off. There's my celebrate recovery, people. Maybe you've been sensing it's time to get courage to talk to your supervisor about what's ahead in your future. You just need to schedule the meeting. You just need to schedule the time. Or maybe you're sensing now is the time to ask that special someone to marry you. Maybe it's time to get that ring. Come on, I know I'm talking to somebody in here. It's time to get down on one knee. Whatever God is laying on your heart, you won't regret leaning in and following through. Which leads us to the next way we can live out a blessed heart, and that is to know when to go slow. Sometimes when we are faced with a task, we wanna get it done as quickly as possible, right? I, there's an Instagram account called Please Hate These Things. Now, I'm not asking you to hate them. In fact, we tell our kids it's really not good to hate. You can not like various, something very much or something cannot be your favorite, but we really shouldn't hate unless it's the things that God hates, which are sin and the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding, you Cowboy fans. Don't tell my boss I just said that. We'll keep that a secret. But this account, please hate these things. What they do is they post a lot of times these, these jobs, these construction jobs, these uh, the different design elements that just go wrong. Either there was bad planning or the job was just rushed and hurried and wasn't done right. I have a few examples of them here. This first one, like why couldn't you just get the right shower head, right? You plastered the roof around the wrong shower head. Or this one, this next one here, like ran out of, let's just put the scraps down in there. Surely that's good enough. This one here. Now, if you can't tell, there's no balcony to that door up there. Like there's no stairs. If you're not a stair person, this is the fastest way to the first floor that you could possibly have. Or this one here is my favorite. Like nothing wrong here, right? Looks good. But yeah, feet full of water. Like not the right thing, not a great design. And when we get overconfident and self-reliant, we can get things so wrong. Taking a moment just to slow down for just a second can make all the difference. And in David's story, David is finally made king of Israel. He's now living in the promise God gave him. Now, David is trying to clean up the mess that his predecessor, King Saul, that he left behind. You see, Saul, he was known to neglect the things of God. This is not a great description of someone who's supposed to be leading God's people. And in the days of Saul and David in the Old Testament, the central place of worship, it was very important because that's where you would find the presence of God on earth. The central place of worship at that time, it was a, a tent or a structure called a tabernacle. Now today, because of Jesus, God dwells in each person who follows Jesus. 
But back then, the central place of worship was the tabernacle. And while Saul was king, he completely neglected the central place of worship, where God's presence should have been. And not only that, there was a very important piece of the tabernacle that Saul neglected. It was a holy object that looked like an ornate or elaborate chest or box, and it was lost. It was called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is important because the presence of God dwelt in it. And its departure symbolized God's departure with his people. Now, this was a big deal. Moses received specific instructions on how to build the ark, how to move the ark, how to handle the ark, so that while God's people were in the wilderness, his presence could travel and stay with them. Anywhere the ark was placed, it meant God's glory rested there as well. And when David is king, he sees this as a big problem for the nation. He's now leading for that ark not to be with them. The Israelites needed this central place of worship. They needed God's glory to rest among them again. He needed to turn the nation's attentions and their priorities back to God. He needed to find this ark of the covenant. And what had happened to the ark is that Israelites' enemies had stolen it under King Saul's leadership. And when David became king, it was in the house of a guy named Abinadab. Can you imagine having the most holy object on the face of the earth, the very presence of God just hanging out in your living room? Like, I think it would look good in this corner right here. It just really ties the room together. What do you think, God? Is it good right here, this corner? So David, he, he knows he's got to go get this ark, and he goes to Abinadab's house to return the ark back to Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 6, 3, says they placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart that carried the ark of God. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments. David and the people of Israel, they're partying. They're celebrating, they're dancing, they're playing instruments. They're excited that finally the ark is coming home. We retrieved it. It's headed to its right, rightful place. It's headed back to Jerusalem. This is a celebration. Nothing's wrong here, right? In fact, everything just seems like it's going the right way, that things are finally being put back in place. But there was something wrong here. Remember, I said earlier that God had given specific instructions to Moses on how to build the ark and how to handle the ark. This was the very presence of God and where he resided. So who carried it mattered. How they carried it mattered. But David, in a hurry to get the ark back to Jerusalem, missed these very important details. We go on to read in verse six of this chapter. It says, but when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused, aroused against Uzzah and God struck him dead because of this. An oxen trips, the cart begins to tip and poor Uzzah reaches out his hand to catch it. He touches it and he dies. And David became angry with God. Here he is thinking he's doing the right thing and someone's life has to end while trying to keep this thing from hitting the ground. But you see, David missed some important details. He was in such a hurry to get that ark back that he didn't do his homework. 
The ark was designed with holes or ringlets that long poles were to slip through. And then it was supposed to be carried on the shoulders of Levites or priests who could balance and steady the ark. It was never supposed to be hurried on a cart. David didn't do his research. He rushed the process and he trusted his own understanding. And then a man lost his life because of it. Now, David works this whole thing out and understands the mistakes he personally made in the process that despite his intentions, God's principles and, and how to do things according to God, that they matter. And David gets it all figured out and the ark eventually makes its way back to Jerusalem the correct way. But what we learn here from this part of David's story is that how we do things matter. If David had just stopped and asked God, God for guidance on how to move the ark Instead of just relying on what he personally thought was best, he would have saved himself a lot of trouble. There's beauty in God's process and the blessing. Doing things fast, even with the best intentions, is not a good thing if it's the wrong way to do it. Sometimes God is telling us to go slow. And I know, I know, in a world that just says, go, 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 faster's better, faster's better, it's all about speed, just slowing things down, like slow is not a bad word. God wants us to trust him, his way, his timing, and sometimes the shortcut will get us in trouble. There's sometimes that you need to study and do the homework before taking that big test. There's sometimes that you need to serve a lot, the menial tasks and get to work early and be there later than everybody else before you're gonna get that promotion. There's sometimes we need to invest extra time with our kids before there's a strong relationship with them. There's sometimes you need to save some money and pay off some debts before there's financial freedom. There's sometimes that there needs to be patience, there needs to be forgiveness, even oftentimes where there needs to be a lot of forgiveness before there's a strong marriage. There's... There's sometimes that there's backslides and a learning of discipline before there's freedom from addiction. The greatest blessing for your patience is not what you get, but what happens to your heart. The greatest blessing for your patience is what happens to your heart. It's who you have the possibility of becoming if you just let God shape you in the waiting. David's intentions were good. He was passionate for God and he wanted to restore God's presence amongst his people, but he tried to rush the blessing. And for us, we need to be submissive to God's timing and submissive to his process. And sometimes that means just taking things slow, which leads to the last way we can live in God's blessing and that's to listen when God says no. Before I got married, I lived with some roommates and these were some of my closest friends. We had a lot of good times together, but, and we were also really good at looking out for each other's needs of serving one another. But there were times that we didn't ask the other person if how we were serving them was the way that they wanted to be served. It was a need that they wanted us to try to meet. One of the examples of this is my friend, Kevin. Now, Kevin, what his thing was is that he would wake up earlier than everybody else, and he would surprise us with breakfast. Now, I know what you're thinking. Like, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. I could use a roommate like Kevin. In fact, Kevin can move into our house. I'd love to be surprised with breakfast. That's awesome. And you're right, Kevin is awesome. He is a great friend of mine, really good friend. But we were in college at the time, so that meant that we were normally up late studying and doing homework. I know you don't believe me. I wouldn't believe me either. 
But sleeping in was like a blessing. Sleeping in was a great thing. As much as we could sleep in in the morning, like that's all we wanted, that's all we needed. But Kevin couldn't sleep in. Kevin was an early riser. And I know some of you are like, I'm an early riser. Kevin's like a 5 a.m. early riser. Like that's just ridiculous to me. His internal alarm clock is 5 a.m. no matter what time he goes to bed. And the other thing about Kevin is that he hates being alone. So by 5.45, he's tired of being alone. And so what he would do is he would just start making breakfast. He'd have pancakes, eggs, sausage, hash browns, all working before the sun even came up. And then he would make me a big plate, barge into my room while I was sound asleep, drop that IHOP Grand Slam special right on top of me, mid-snore, like 6.15 a.m. Nothing wrong with making somebody breakfast, but when all you want, all you need is like four more hours of sleep. You're only halfway through the night. The last thing you want is someone putting breakfast right in your face, the smell of breakfast literally in your face. It was... It was the great intentions. It was terrible timing. And what he saw as a blessing, I saw as like a, please, no, just go hang out by yourself for a little bit, dude. I don't know what to tell you. No breakfast. And earlier we were able to see that restoring God's presence was a top agenda item for David as king. And he had the attention of turning the nation he was leading back to focusing on God. Now, David, he wants to take it even a step further. And he meets with this friend, this counselor named Nathan, who is also a prophet. And he tells him that he doesn't like that he's living in this big, beautiful house and that God's living and residing in some tent. And so Nathan encourages him. He says, go and do what's on your heart. Go and do it. And on David's heart was to build this big, elaborate temple, this beautiful temple for God to dwell in, a permanent house for God, for the Ark of the Covenant to reside in, to show God honor. Now, David's motives, they were pure. This wasn't selfish ambition. This wasn't him just trying to get some personal pat on the back. He truly just wanted to construct a temple for God's presence. He just wanted to construct this temple so that God could be among his people. But then God speaks to Nathan. He gives him a message for David. And check out what that message is in 1 Chronicles 17, 4. It says, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. You are not the one to build a house for me to live in. Oh no. Nathan has just told David, go and do all that is on your heart for God. And now God is saying, nope, that's not what, it's not what should be on his heart. That's not him. He's not going to be the one that builds that temple. You're gonna have to go back and tell him. Nathan has just given the king some bad advice. What an awkward place to be in to say, you know what, I know I just told you this, but God just actually told me, no, you're not the one that's gonna build the temple. But God being the incredible God he is, he doesn't just say no without some sort of affirmation or encouragement, some sort of redirection for David. God reminds David that he took him from a shepherd to ruler over his people that he's been by David's side to defeat all of Israel's enemies and that he will give David a great name. Then he tells David in 1 Chronicles 17, 11, he says, for when you die and join your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, one of your sons, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for me, and I will secure his throne forever. God's saying, David, I built you as a warrior. I gifted you as a fighter. You've gotten your hands dirty in my name. You've been on the battlefield and I've given you all your enemies. 
That's how I've gifted you. That's how I've blessed you. It even goes on to tell us in 2 Chronicles 6 that God was pleased with David's intentions to build the temple. It's not like God didn't see the good intentions David had in trying to honor him, but he tells David, that's just not, in my plan. That's just not part of my plan for you. But there's hope because that is part of my plan with one of your descendants, your son. He's gonna be the leader to build the temple. Now, the first thing that we can learn here is that sometimes God's no is not a rejection, but a redirection. You had plans for your life, where, where you saw yourself going, what you saw yourself doing. You had a path all mapped out, and that's what you thought God's plan was. That's what you thought his direction was, but now it's not working out. Well, maybe that's not part of his plan for you. Maybe he's redirecting you to something better. Or maybe he's just saying, not right now. You see, our responsibility is to stay in tune with God's voice for what he has for us, and that has to be daily. Making our prayer, is this your plan for me, God? If it's not, don't let me get in your way. Make it clear to me that you're redirecting me. But we have to receive his direction daily. We have to not only pray for what we want or what we see for our future, but we have to get in silence and just listen for his voice on what his plan is. It's not like he just gives us the whole plan in our lives in one conversation. Sometimes it's being able to just live in the unknown and then also seeking a new portion of his plan every single day for our lives by just stopping to pray. The second thing we can learn from David's story is that there are some times in our lives we're gonna have to have the ability just to accept God's no as a no. It's just a no. And we have to understand it as a no. And we're, we're gonna have to have to be okay that that specific blessing is, is not for us. And then he, he probably will go on and bless someone else in the way that we wanted to be blessed. You, look, God doesn't call everyone to be temple builders. He calls some people to be soldiers. Some will have a gift of leadership and others will be incredibly hardworking followers. Some will be blessed with an abundance of financial wealth and others will be blessed to just have enough. Some are gonna have giftings that are, and strengths that are extremely clear. And then some of us are just gonna have to discover them. We can't look at someone else's blessing and think, why is this not mine? We have to look at the ways God's blessed us, how he's gifted us, the opportunities he's put in front of us and be content in those to be grateful. Look at what David did after God told him, no, you won't be the one to build the temple. Tells us in 1 Chronicles 17, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed. He didn't get angry. He didn't get resentful. After all, he was the one that defeated a giant and saved Israel. He was the one that retrieved the Ark of the Covenant. He was the one turning people back to God. He was faithful. He was humble. He loved God with his whole heart. He could have complained. He could have grumbled. He could have argued. He could have begged. He could have just gone ahead and did what he wanted to do. But instead, he sat before the Lord and prayed. Prayed a prayer of thanksgiving. He prayed, who am I, Lord, that, that you would give all of this to that you've already given me? Who am I to deserve any of this? Do you treat everyone this way? Do you treat everyone this good? And I want you to hear today, he does. He does treat everyone that way. He treats everyone that good. He loves to pour out his blessing on each one of us. 
Now, when's the last time we've just stopped and thought about all the ways that he's blessed us? We've just paused. When it comes to his blessing, we need to have a posture that's ready to receive it. We have to hear his voice when he's telling us go, but then we have to take our foot off the gas when he's telling us to slow. And we have to accept when he's telling us no, not as a rejection, just as a redirection. And I'm gonna guess that there's something he's personally put on your heart today in one of those three areas. Whether it's go, whether it's slow, whether it's no, he's doing something. He's stirring stirring something. Something you need to start doing today. Something you need to slow down on and do the right way to be patient. Or something he's telling you no on as a redirection in your life. Something better he has for you. Whatever it is, he is uniquely blessing each one of us. And we're gonna know what that is when we just pause daily. When we sit before him, grateful for all that he's already giving us. And then also asking for his direction on what is next in our lives. That's how we have a blessed heart like David. We put our attention on the one who does the blessing. And he's already given all of us the ultimate blessing. That ultimate blessing is his son, Jesus. He sent him to this earth to die a death that we deserved. And all you need to do to to receive that blessing is just pray a prayer. It's his ultimate, it's his undeserved blessing. Listen, I'm guessing that there's some of you in this room today that were invited by a family member or a friend. There's some of you that are watching online. You don't know how you found this online message, but God put it in front of you. There's some sitting inside a prison facility right now watching this message and God's doing something in your heart. Maybe today he's saying go. Maybe he's saying stop living the life that you're doing. Stop trying to live this, this life on your own. This is your day that you go and the blessing that I have for you. That you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. That you stop resisting him today in your life. Listen, you can have your life radically flipped upside down in one prayer, like so many of us in this room have discovered. If Jesus has changed your life, if God has blessed you in so many ways since the day you started following him, can you just give it up really big for him right now? Let everyone know. He loves to bless us. And to someone in your life right now, if you haven't named him your personal Lord and Savior, they want to see that blessing true in your own life. So my ask is just stop. Stop resisting God. Stop putting that off. Start following him today. And if you want to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if I could have everybody just bow their heads and close their eyes. Just pray this prayer after me, but just mean it with your whole heart. God, I thank you for loving me. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've messed up. But I know that you gave us your son, Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died a death he didn't deserve on a cross. But then three days later, he beat death and he rose from that grave. And I'm ready to be blessed, God. I'm ready to receive that blessing of eternal life. So I name you my personal Lord and Savior. Come into my life and help me face every challenge that I might be up against. I give my life to you. 
And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you made that prayer today, if you just named Jesus your personal Lord and Savior for the first time, would you just slip your hand up in the air for me? Just before God, just raise your hand up in the air, say, I'm declaring God that you have my life now. I want your full blessing on my life. I give it to you. Just have the courage to put that hand up in the air. Thank you for those hands. God, we lift these hands up to you right now. Come into their life, bless them in a way that they've never seen before, Father. And for each of us in the room, let us continually and daily recount all the ways that you've blessed us and let us look to you and be grateful as the one who does the blessing. We give our lives to you. We give our futures to you. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Can we give it up for everyone that made Jesus their Lord and Savior today? Listen, if that's you, there's some next steps we would love for you to take. If you just go to central.family and you hit the quick link, I've decided to follow Jesus, we're gonna get you this how to follow Jesus guide. It's just a next step for you partnering with the Bible in this new journey ahead for you. Well, at this time, we're gonna turn it over to all of our different location pastors who are gonna walk us through some next steps. Well, what an incredible weekend. Hey, before you go, don't forget, sponsor a child through our back backpack drive. We only have a few weeks left. All you have to do is go to central.family, click on backpack drive, and for just $35, you can sponsor a child who is under-resourced so that they can have an amazing school year. It's so fun to lock arms with you guys. Well, hey, before you go, hang on to Romans 8. If God is for us, who could be against us? Keep showing up.